In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. My name is Father Matt. I'm one of the priests here at the table, co-rectoring with Ben and Spencer. We are two Sundays away from Advent, which the weather conveniently reminded us, I think, of this morning. Uh, we're six weeks from 2022. Isn't that crazy? I, I haven't even journaled through 2020 yet. Uh, we're on the cusp of Advent And today, in our gospel reading from Mark's gospel, we see Jesus on the cusp or at the precipice of entering into his final days, his crucifixion. We hear these words. As Jesus left the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, look what awesome stones and buildings. Jesus responded, Do you see these enormous buildings? Not even one stone will be left upon another. All will be demolished. Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, when will this happen and how will we know it's going to happen? Two things I need to say right up front. In preaching this text, we've got to deal with two things. One, this prediction of the temple's destruction is not about the end of the world. I know most of us have read all the Left Behind books. This will probably disappoint Kirk Cameron if he ever listens to this message. This is not about the end of the world. It's about the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, okay? Which is an end of the world in a way, which is why there's confusion. Number two, to preach on, and this is maybe more significant for us, To preach on Jesus' judgment on the temple is to have to come face to face with the long, awful history of anti-Semitism associated with Christianity. Categorically, let me say this. Jesus was Jewish. Jesus wasn't a Christian, is what I'm trying to say. All his disciples were Jewish. This isn't Jew versus Christian here. It's Jew versus Jew. It's Jews trying to work out what it means to follow Yahweh. So the temple, then, for Jesus isn't a symbol for the Jewish religion. This is crucial. The temple, in Jesus' day, wasn't simply like the Crystal Cathedral. (laughs) Or pick another magnificent large church. It, it, it was three things rolled into one at least. It was Fort Knox slash the National Bank. It was Capitol Hill. Sorry. <laughs> Capitol Hill. Um, Wall Street probably goes into Fort Knox, National Bank, Wall Street. Capitol Hill and the, the uh, center of the religious life. Economics, power, and religion. And in Jesus' day, the temple uh, it was actually being rebuilt. So when, when the Jews returned from exile and they came back, there was a, a Zerubbabel oversaw sort of this, this building of the temple, and it was like a 17-acre complex, which sounds huge, right? It's huge. Um, but in, in Jesus' day, Herod the Great, about 10 years before Jesus was born, maybe 20, 
started rebuilding the temple. Re by rebuilding, he basically did a do-over. And uh, the temple was finished around 20, when, D when Jesus was about 20 years old. It took him 40 years, and it went from 17 acres to 37 acres. Jesus, then, when he is pronouncing that the temple will be destroyed, isn't pronouncing judgment on Jewish religion. You with me? Can I hear an amen in the congregation? Thank you. We have a lot of work to do to, re, uh, to repair anti-Semitism in the Christian faith, and this truth-telling is part of verbal reparations. Jesus, rather, stood against the way colonized Judaism had been weaponized by a powerful few, wealthy people, who used religion, among other things, to exploit, marginalize, and dominate people economically, socially, and religiously. He wasn't anti-Jewish, he was pro-Jewish, and that's why he pronounced judgment on the temple. Today, friends, we proclaim the kingdom of God. Jesus himself sits opposite everything the temple complex stood for. Today, we proclaim the kingdom of God and Jesus is generous. It's a jubilee, not exploitative. It's inclusive, not marginalizing. And it's empowering, not domineering. Where do you, friends, need this generosity this inclusion, this empowerment today. And what impressive worldly system do we as a church need to sit in opposition to today? This part of Mark, uh, I'm going to try to do 60 minutes of work in three minutes. Uh, Jesus has been correcting legal experts uh, he, he delights the crowd just a few verses before, and uh, it's like this sick burn on the, on the legal experts. And then um, Jesus prophetically denounces them, and then he teaches on the widow's might. Remember this story? A lot of wealthy people are throwing money in the uh, offering basket, and then the widow gives all that she has, the very last bit of her offering. And typically we teach this to highlight, I mean, we're in the middle of a giving campaign, so we could... Use the widow's might to sort of leverage some good old-time gospel guilt on people. You know, you know, just give that one extra might, that one extra penny. We typically highlight the virtue of the widow, but this, again, isn't what this story is about. Just before the widow might story... Jesus denounces the legal experts who are a part of this temple system complex, and he says this, they are the ones who cheat widows out of their houses. So when Jesus says all of them, the many rich people are giving uh, out of their spare change, but she from her hopeless, destitute, exploited poverty has given everything she had, all that she needed to live on, Jesus is saying this is what the system does to the impoverished. It takes even the little they have left and leaves them with nothing. Do you see that? God forgive us for using this text 
as a way of encouraging people to give more money to the church. God, forgive us. Jesus says that the place in his very next breath, the place that is taking her last penny will be destroyed. Because the kingdom of God, Jesus himself, sits opposite everything the temple system complex represented. Jesus, his kingdom, the presence and power of God available in him is generous. It's a generous jubilee. It's not exploitative. It's inclusive. It doesn't marginalize and separate, partition off people into certain places of proximity to goodness. And it's empowering, not domineering. Where do we need this jubilee today? This inclusion, where do you need that? Where do you need empowerment where you feel powerless? And where, friends, is Jesus inviting us, as Peter, James, John, and Andrew, to sit with him opposite the temple and speak some real truth to some real evil? Three things Jesus denounces. The economic exploitation of the temple. The social marginalization associated with the temple and the political disenfranchisement associated with the temple. The first economic exploitation, Jesus doesn't plunder poor people out of their last coin, but he invites them to parties that they don't have to pay for. He feeds them in the wilderness and preaches the gospel to people like Zacchaeus, who's caught up in this system of exploitation and and goes from this person who's part of the system. One of the men, who, uh, the man who's, who's, who's keeping people down, to he is the epicenter of jubilee for his town. Jesus instigates a literal jubilee, a, a revolution of abundance and generosity that pronounces judgment, by its existence pronounces judgment on an exploitative, predatory economic system that was represented by the temple. This happened in many ways, lots of, time, lots, of, lots of ways this happened, but one of was the practice of prose bull. The practice of prose bull was instituted because in the law, in Leviticus, there was a, a every seventh year forgiveness of debt, like a Sabbath year, basically, economically. So you, had, you took out a loan from wealthy people, paying off the loan, but at year seven, ollie, ollie, oxen free. All debts were Boy, some of us have student debt or mortgages. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? All debts were forgiven. Well, this led to an unintended consequence, as all things do with mammon. <laughs> there was reluctance on wealthy people to loan money as we got close to the money Sabbath, right? Because they were going to lose it. So, Prosbull was the uh, thing you would do then, you would swear an oath to the court, pros bill meant oath before the court, I'm sorry, that the loan wouldn't be canceled in your set. So this would help then the wealthy people loan money to the poor people without having to, you know, deal with obeying God's law. <laughs> Priests were now free from following Torah to make money off the poor. Seemed like a good idea. There was prison in Jesus' day, and there were two, two people that populated prison. One were people like uh, Barabbas, John the Baptist, political dissidents, and the two were uh, 
prison was called debtor's prison. If you could not pay off your debt, you went to jail. Uh, there were so many people living in debt in Jesus' day that in the, when the temple was destroyed in AD 70, the revolt that started that in AD 66, the first thing the revolutionaries did to start the revolt, they broke into the temple and they burned the debt records. To follow Jesus then has to include being caught up and committed to a new economy. How do we begin to sit opposite? This is very intentional language. That temple is going to be destroyed. So Jesus goes to another mountain and sits opposite the temple and then tells four people all the things that's going to happen to that temple. This is very specific language Mark is using. So how do we then sit opposite the prevailing logic of our own predatory economy? That's how we follow Jesus. How do we free the widows and orphans today from giving all they have left to systems of oppression and greed? The kingdom of God, Jesus himself, sits opposite everything the temple complex system represents. Jesus' kingdom, his way of life, is a jubilee. It's a generous jubilee, not exploitative. Friends, where do we need to be caught up in that kind of economy? Where do, where do you feel the crushing exploitation? Or where is God calling you to orient yourself in a new economy, to be a part of a jubilee? Second, social marginalization. Jesus doesn't create in his kingdom a court over here for the Gentiles and a place over there for the women and then, and then a certain elite few one day a year get to come into his presence. Jesus talks about himself as the tabernacle in the wilderness. He talks about himself as the moving tabernacle. And because he teaches with the law of Moses, he's like, the t- he, he, John, John's gospel does this complex theology where basically he says Jesus is the new Moses. He's the law of God. The law came through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus, John says. Jesus talks about himself, tries to communicate who he is by saying, I am the very presence and power and love of God that moves about freely, driving out evil spirits and, um, that deal death and destruction and oppress people. He lets kids sit on his lap. The audacity. He sends Gentiles out to proclaim the gospel, the first missionaries sent out. Mark 5, gathering demoniac. Teaches women as though someday they're going to tell the apostles about the resurrection of his body from the dead. Our our reading from Hebrews talks about this today. Access, we have confidence, we can enter the Holy of Holies. That was not something we all could do. The Holy of Holies was one priest, one day, one time a year. Now, what? Jesus is in the tabernacle in God's presence, and we all have access. We can enter with confidence. Why? Because the curtain, this is a divisional thing, something that separated uh, less holy from more holy people. The curtain of his body has been torn, Hebrews says. So now we can just go, we can just walk in like we own the place. Like we're a part of his body. Jesus, not Caiaphas, is our great high priest. And he says, y'all can get in here. 
To follow Jesus then is to no longer use religion or power to exclude and partition. Who in our world today is told God hates you? God hates you. Who lives in the outer courts? Cut off from God's presence and love because of walls and gates and hierarchies. And To follow Jesus, to be part of his kingdom, is to sit in opposition of every marginalizing force in the world and to denounce it in Jesus' name, to tell the truth about it, to say, boo. Kin the God, Jesus. He actually sits opposite of the temple industrial complex and everything it represents. Because in his kingdom, we aren't marginalizing people, we're including them. It's inclusive. Even the sinners, even the sinners. Where do you need to be included today? Maybe you feel like you're in the outer courts. Cut off. Maybe there's people in your life who don't know that God doesn't hate them. Third, political empowerment. Now, the word politics has all kinds of connotations to us. I'm going to try to do some really quick work here to reimagine what I mean by that, what the word actually means. Jesus doesn't curry favor with wealthy people. You know, he's got a Davidic lineage, we're told. Right? Those long sort of begat whom, begat, blah, 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 father of whatever, like all that stuff, and we're just like, blah, 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 blah. Okay, now here we go. Jesus was born. No, that's a big deal. He has a kingly lineage, but he doesn't ever use it. He gets invited to wealthy people's homes and honors women of the streets there. He doesn't curry favor with wealthy and powerful, leveraging his Davidic lineage to get proximity to Pilate and the high priest and Herod to influence and gain status. He's not on Herod's advisory council. He empowers the poor, the widows, the sinners. God's power in Jesus lifts up the lowly. It doesn't line the pockets of the mighty. This is what God Jesus killed, friends. Why did Jesus have to die? Well, there's a lot of ways to answer that question. But the Gospels tell us directly why did Jesus die? Because the high priest looked around at everybody who had all the power and said, you guys are idiots. I don't care if he's doing miracles or not. Don't you realize it's better for one person to die than for our place to be taken away? This guy threatens this system, he has to die. My kingdom is not of this world. We often take that to mean like, yeah, it's, it's heaven, right? His kingdom's somewhere else. But when Jesus says world, he's talking about very much what I'm talking about when I say the temple system. There's a logic there. It's a logic, common sense. The way the world works. We all know this. We all agree to this. This is how it works. I was talking to a friend of mine um, who is a doctor, and he's, he's a really good doctor, and he's got this group of, group of people that he um, works with. He had a patient a couple weeks ago that needed surgery, and he was like, we were booked up all day, we couldn't do the surgery. 
Um, and he's like, I was thinking what's best for this patient is for me to send them across the street to this other hospital. You know, but I can't do that because I work for this hospital and this system. And so this patient waited 18 hours for surgery, you know, which cost this patient a lot of money, a lot of suffering, a lot of pain, right? But you just don't. When your livelihood's tied to this, you don't, you don't pay the competition. I'm using this example to say, friends, we have made taking care of sick people about profit. Think about that. Just for a second. Well, you're sick? This is an opportunity for me to make some cash. Just think about that. Right? Now, I know we could talk about this for hours, and we will. We're going to have a class on Mammon. But this is one of the ways. This is one of the ways that the logic of the world just operates unquestionable. Just unquestioned. Is it a good hospital? Well, no lawsuits and up and to the right. Jesus, to follow Jesus then, friends, is to stand in opposition to ideologies and forces that disenfranchise and disempower people. That place all power in a wealthy few that limits access or silences voices or takes away the agency of the most vulnerable. This is not the kingdom of God. Jesus' kingdom is not of that world. But he's got a new world, his kingdom. He calls it his kingdom. That logic works differently. And he sits in opposition to how the world works, which is what the temple is representing here in this text. So today we proclaim that. Jubilee, generosity. We proclaim inclusion. We proclaim in, like empowerment. You have a voice, you matter. Where do we need to receive this today? Where are we caught up in a system that erodes our confidence in the kingdom? And where, friends, are we being called not just to build the positive, but sometimes you got to leave the city, go sit on a hill in opposition to the evil. And you got to speak plainly about it. If we're going to follow Jesus, that is. I mentioned this class on Mammon. I am scared to death of it. We, we talked about white supremacy. Well, we talk about white supremacy all the time. We did a class on that, several classes on that. I was scared to death of that too. And when I got into that, I realized you can't talk about white supremacy without talking about the way it's embedded in our economic system. Because they, uh, white supremacy and maybe uh, we'll call it global capitalism came to being at the same time. They, they, they function together. Um, and I'm scared of it because, A, I, I'm not an expert on mammon. B, I'm thoroughly compromised and caught up in it. And C, when you start looking evil in the face and calling it evil, you get, you get crucified. Evil does not go down quietly. So let's pray as though heaven depended on it. Like as though the evil spirits that have possessed our land, they only come out through prayer. Let's pray. We're going to pray respond today, asking the Lord uh, to help us stand against things. 
Daniel uh, speaks in his text today of the resurrection from the dead. I, I, uh, I wrote in my notes, speaks of the resurrection from the dad, and it's not that. It's resurrection from the dead. <laughs> you know when you misspell a word, but it's still a word, so a spell check doesn't catch it? And then you talk about it in your sermon like an idiot? Yeah. <laughs> Those who are skilled in wisdom and righteousness will shine like the sky. Righteousness is a word that, it's the same word for justice. Those who are skilled in wisdom and justice are the ones whose names are written in the scroll of life. So we're going to need lots of wisdom and lots of commitment to righteousness, to justice, to do this kind of work. So we're going to call on the God of justice and wisdom for help. Because the good news, friends, is that that's where Jesus is. He's sitting in opposition to these things, and he's calling us to listen. Tell me more about this, and how will we know when this is happening? As we build his kingdom, as we, by build, I mean like organize for it, right? So the library of things, one way we're trying to organize for this. Today we proclaim the kingdom of God in Jesus is generous. It's a generous jubilee, not exploitative. It's inclusive, not marginalizing. It's separating and empowering, not domineering. <sighs> Amen. In the name of the Father and Son, Holy Spirit, amen.